Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to the Shellac Stack. My name is Brian Wright, and this is the little program on which I play 78 RPM records from the first half of the 20th century. I've got a very special program for you today. We've got a guest, Jihoon Sok, who comes to us from Seoul in Korea. He's been on the program before, but it's been a while, and I'm so glad to have him back with us today. Hello, Jihoon. Hello. Nice to be here again. And last time you visited the Shellac Stack, I actually came to you. You were studying in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time, Mm -hmm. and I uh, journeyed up that way and brought some portable equipment, and we recorded a program there. But today, you're here at uh, (laughs) Shellac Stack headquarters in Pittsburgh, um, because this week, Pittsburgh is hosting the conference, the annual conference of the Association for Recorded Sound Collections, or ARSC, as it's known. And I'll be attending the conference, and Jihoon is here to attend the conference. You came a lot further than I did. (laughs) Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm actually one of the presenters. And my presentation is on the first day of the conference, which is on Thursday. Right. So I'm looking forward to it. And um, and what will you be speaking about? uh, I'll be talking about the history of sound recordings in Korea, specifically the uh, the production of um, commercial sound recordings by... Um, Korean record companies in the 1930s. I don't know much about the records made in that part of the world. I know you have spent considerable time researching it, and uh, I'm sure it will be fascinating. I'm looking forward to it. It's on my calendar to attend. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I sure hope somebody will be recording the conference, and we might be able to share that in a future time. I hope so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, as you may have gathered, uh, Jihoon is an expert record collector and scholar. Um, he has been researching recordings, especially Korean-made recordings, for for multiple decades now, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> and are really one of the foremost experts in the world on this, and it's such a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, last time we got together for a Shellac Stack program, it was a lot of fun, and you brought all sorts of interesting records, and, and you've done it again. You've traveled all the way from Korea to Pittsburgh in the United States with a satchel full of records yes. and we're going to listen to some of them here today uh-huh that's true so uh, i brought uh, about a dozen records in total um they are mostly vinyl pressings um when i say vinyl pressings i mean old matrices pressed on the vinyl um for various reasons uh, which i'm going to talk about a little bit later uh, most of the stuff that i brought here today are classical music classical vocal music and uh so yeah hopefully um yeah, you will, uh, all the um, all the listeners out there would like this uh, material that I brought with you with me. Yeah, and I've had a sneak listen to some of this, and it is fascinating material, a bit out of ordinary for the shellac stack. Normally, uh, the program is somewhat focused around my own collecting interests because I'm usually playing records from my collection, and so that means a healthy dose of pop and jazz of the 1920s and 30s, and occasionally an excursion into the realm of classical music. Uh, I do have some classical and operatic 78s, but it's not a collecting focus of mine. Um, Jihoon, you are, I, I don't want to pigeonhole you as a classical collector either, because you've got some very impressive uh, jazz and uh, all kinds, all, of, all things, kinds yeah. of records. Mm-hmm. I mean, not not even all Western music. You've got a lot of Korean recordings. You've got a lot of Japanese recordings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Although today's focus is somewhat on the operatic and uh, classical fare, mm-hmm. uh, you are very knowledgeable in many realms, and yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what you've got today. But I did want to give that heads up in case folks are here expecting the usual dance bands. It's going to be a bit different today, but still 
fascinating, so I hope you'll stick around. Jihoon, uh, let's get right to it. What do you have up first for us? So the first recording I brought here is actually uh, something you actually brought, um, played in a previous in a previous Shellac Stack episode many years ago, I believe. Uh, it's a recording made by the uh, the Spanish violin virtuoso Pablo de Sarasate in 1904, 1904 in Paris. Um, it's a vinyl pressing. It's um, um, copies of this record are plentiful uh, in the shellac form, but this one actually yields a very quiet surface because it's pressed on a vinyl. Um, the selection here is Bach Prelude, um, and uh, yeah, it's a magnificent performance and quite um, quite you know like for for its time from 1904. It's I think the sound quality is quite excellent. So, all right, let's take a listen. That's such a great record. I, I'm fortunate to have a copy of that. I've loved it for many years, and I'm so glad you brought it today because whereas my copy is pressed in shellac, probably in the 1930s over in England, uh, you actually have a vinyl pressing. So what they did is some years later, they went back to the original metal stamper, pulled it out of the vault, and put it on a modern press and pressed a 
vinyl record of it. It's the original grooves. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been dubbed, uh, but it's in a much quieter material, so it plays very, very nicely. I'm so glad you brought this over today. And tell us about that tuning track at the end. What was that stable pitch we were hearing? So uh, in the old days, um, many recordings were made in uh, various speeds of any kind, like be it um, 71 or 74 RPMs or like 80 RPM. There was no um, standard speed for any of these recordings. And because of that, uh, some on some recordings, they actually added this little pitch track at the end uh, so that uh, the listeners can actually pitch the, the records at the correct speed. So that's the idea. Not all records carry this, but all Sarasate records made in 1904, they all have this pitch pipe, which is quite useful. Very, very useful. Uh, I think sometimes today it's easy to forget that turntables didn't always come with strobe lights and quartz lock mechanisms and all of that. Uh, those wind-up spring-wound phonographs could, as you say, run anywhere from 70 RPM up to 85 or 90. And mm-hmm. uh, if you wanted to play along, or if you just wanted to hear it at the proper speed at which the performer played, you would need some way to tune it, basically. Yes. And something I don't often mention here on the Shellac Stack is I very often will pitch correct these records before I play them so that I'm playing them back at the pitch proper speed. Um, so that the note that the musician played as A actually comes across as A and not G flat mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. <laughs> something else. Um, I think you're doing a great job of that. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I don't claim to always get it perfect, but I, I, I like to try. And in this case, so I pitched it to A as uh, 440 hertz, which is sort of the modern standard. It wasn't always so, but you think in this case, A440 is correct, right? Yes, Um the reason, because uh, the reason being that Sarasate insisted on um, to be accompanied by accompanied by Steinway pianos, and Steinways from the 1890s onward were all pitched at 8440. So, um, yeah. So I think that's the right pitch. Ah, oh, glad to know that. Well, uh, thanks again for bringing this record in, and we, we've got many more in the rest of this hour. So let's get on to the next uh, record. Tell us about this one. So this is also a vinyl pressing. In fact, all the um, records we're going to play here today are vinyl pressings. Um, so this one is but a vinyl. All, all original matrices, we should point out. So these yeah, are all pressed from the original metal stampers, but just more modern pressings in vinyl. Yeah, these are not dubs. So these are all, um, they all look identical and play identical to the originals. It's just that they were pressed on a modern um, substance. So, uh, but anyway, so this particular selection that I'm going to introduce now, uh, it's actually a soundtrack. Uh, it's a Bitophone soundtrack, um, Center Start, uh, 1926. Uh, it features the tenor Giovanni Martinelli, who was a um, um, Metropolitan Opera tenor at the time. And they, they, they filmed a few uh, films with him, uh, including this particular one, which is a selection from Aida by Birdie, uh, Celeste Aida. And uh, so there's a film that goes with it, and um, he actually did it twice, but uh, this one is an earlier one from 1926, and it's, it's, in fact, it's actually the first operatic selections to be filmed uh, on the Vitaphone project in, 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 in total. So anyway, so um, again, it's pressed on the vinyl, so it plays a lot quieter than the original um, shellac Vitaphone pressings, so hopefully you can hear that. Una 
esercito di frari da me guido
Wonderfully clear recording for a 1926 Vitaphone soundtrack disc. Uh, so that was a 33 and a third RPM disc, mm-hmm. uh, 12 inches in diameter. And does the film still exist for this? Yes, there are uh, both versions that, as I said, he did two takes on this one in 1926 and 1929 but both films do exist it's just that there are uh, in in the vaults of some archives and it still needs to be um, um, restored, you know, restored and again up. yeah restored and synced up uh, but anyway yeah it still exists so so I, most of our listeners probably know that the vitaphone process was one of the very early processes for producing sound films where the film was essentially silent but the sound was recorded on a separate disc and this required a very complex machine that synchronized the movement of the film with the playback speed of the disc. And then on uh, reproduction in a theater, uh, they would have to synchronize the disc with the film, and <laughs> thus you get the sound picture. Uh, but over time, so often the films and the discs have drifted apart, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of cases where the film exists, but there's no known copy of the soundtrack disc, or mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. And it's kind of a minor miracle when both have survived and can be reconstructed. So maybe one day we'll get to see this one. Yeah, I hope Um, so. So let me ask you, because you did mention that all of these records today are vinyl pressings. These are not... So it's kind of a misnomer today to call this shellac stack because Mm -hmm. there's not a bit of shellac to be found, but but they're all recordings of that era coming from original... um, Parts, metal parts. Original metal parts. Mm -hmm. So what would be the reason for making these vinyl pressings? I mean... One doesn't often encounter these. They're they're pretty rare. They don't turn up very often. Where do you That's find cool. them, and, and why were they made? What can you tell us about them? So uh, a lot of these discs I found on e- um, eBay or all the other different types of auctions, speci- uh, especially um, special dealers and whatnot. Uh, these discs were primarily uh, made in the 1970s and 80s. There are some who actually, which were made earlier than that, but most of them were made in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the reason why they made these uh, pressings at the time was that either there were special orders made directly to the uh, directly directly from the collector to the the company. Sometimes they can actually they could actually do that. And, but many times, many more times, um, they were actually impressed for um, restoring engineers, um, like recording engineers, uh, restorations, um, to get the best possible sound out of the original recording uh, so that they could, they could dub these things into, like, let's say, tapes or other formats to make reissues, to, to, to be used in a reissue. So, um, yeah, so the vast majority of the recordings that I brought here today are made in that way. Uh, there are some other uh, specialty labels like Symposium, uh, where they actually sold these things, uh, making arrangements with EMI, where they had the original um, metal parts. But anyway, so uh, the the vast majority of them are actually the leftovers from these uh, um, reissue projects, so to speak. Right. So I think it's, in a way, not fair to call these test pressings in the traditional sense. They weren't necessarily made for test purposes. They were made for usually reissue projects where you just needed to get the best sound. So these are private pressings. Maybe they might make one or two or mm-hmm. just, a, just a small handful of them. 
and uh, that's why they don't turn up very often at all. Uh, I sometimes think it's fun to imagine that back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, if you had a bit of money, you could often uh, write to record companies like yes. Victor or Columbia and request for a modest fee, mm-hmm. uh, new pressings of out-of-print records, and they would strike one of these, you know, they would go to the vaults and pull out the master stamper, and they would press one copy for you and mm-hmm. send it to you. And don't you wish they had that service now? You could uh, yeah, I wish. look through um, the catalogs, find um, all the records you want mm-hmm. to have, and then just write to them and have them press them for you. Yeah, apparently, I mean, that's a, a service, as for the RCA Victor is concerned, I think they the, the service actually continued all the way up to the mid-70s, but after that, no, it's, it's just you know, cease to exist. So Yeah, I can't hardly imagine them doing something like that today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's hear some more music. What have you got next? So I brought two recordings here that are um, sung by uh, artists who are usually, who made most of our recordings in acoustic era. So the first one is Louise Homer, the contralto, the American contralto, who was incidentally the uh, the aunt to Samuel Barber, the composer. Um, so she is singing non but the Weary Heart by uh, Tchaikovsky. Uh, it's a 1929 recording, in fact, one of her last recordings to be made. Uh, the second one is the Australian soprano Nellie Melba, who made a series of electrics just before, just after her announcing the retirement in 
It's a beautiful recording, all the more beautiful for being pressed in vinyl and sounding so clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought those couple of records in. And uh, we've got still quite a few more this hour to listen to, and uh, let's just keep moving along. Jihoon, what have you got next? So here's a recording, a private recording, not issued, by um, the famous Russian basso, uh, Fedor Shaliapin. Uh, instead of singing, however, he's actually reciting um, a story, a short story by Natsen. I don't know exactly about this particular writer, and it's called In a Dream or Reverie. Uh, it's it's a short story who is about a, a man daydreaming in a court of a fairy, uh, the fairy queen, and so on and so forth. I don't really, I don't speak Russian, so I don't really know. But anyway, it's a beautiful recording for sure. So, so an unusual opportunity to hear a very famous bass singer mm-hmm. doing a essentially a dramatic recitation mm-hmm. all right let's have a listen shaliapin and uh, what year is this 1923 Юный королевы в замке ликовал блестящий круг гостей. Сюда собрались все прекраснейшие девы и весь железный сон баронов и князей. День промелькнул в чаду забав развлечений. Рога охотников звучали по лесам и много горных серн. И царственных оленей упало жертвы разгоряченным псам. А ночью... Дан был бал. Сияющие хоры гремели музыкой. Всю ночь один другим сменялись минуэты. Под звуки их толпа скользила и плыла, и отражали шелк и фрезы, и колеты с карниза до плуг сплошные зеркала. Но близок уж рассвет, и гости утомились. Певца зовут они, пусть выйдет он вперед, чтоб пир наш увенчать, мы насладились, пусть песню старины пред нами он споет. И робкой паш вперед я выступил смиренно, Перед королевой колено преклонил, поднялся, Звонких струн коснулся вдохновенный юный голос, Мой чертоги огласил. Вначале он дрожал от тайного смущения, Но уж слетел ко мне мой благодатный бог, Уж осенил меня крылами вдохновения, И звуком гибкость стал, и вор огнем зажег его. Безвестный паш я властвую толпой, Я покорил ее, я вижу с торжеством, Как королева не склонилась, как жадно рыцарь внимает мне толпой. Я вижу очи те, горящие слезами, Полураскрытые в волнении их уста, И льется песнь моя. Широкими волнами, как горная река, Кристально и чиста, и льется песнь моя, И мощную грозою гремит, Рассыпавшись на солнечных струнах, Не гром ли божьих туч ударил над землею, Не стрелы и молнии блеснули в небесах, Как грозен был удар, казалось, Внезапно с воды зала дрогнула, и дрогнула земля, и люстра из сквозных подвесков хрусталя на серебре цепей померкнув задрожала. И вот я смог, и все уста, кованы молчанием, все груди поднял 
цветов. И вот моим ногам упал один цветок, другой нет числа, рукоплесканием нет числа меня осыпавшим цветам, но гром рукоплесканий я слышу, как во сне. Душа моя полна иных заветных дум, иных мечтаний ждет она. Ты, чей приветный взор звездою путеводной был для меня, а уже лишь ты меня не поняла. Но ведь для очам она встает, мгновенно затишит толпа и очищает путь, она идет. Легка, как греза, чаруя прелесть улыбки лица его. С ее груди от колотая роза трепещет уж в руках счастливого певца. Так в детстве я мечтал. С тех пор умчались грезы, и нет их ярких снов фантазии моей. Мне не гремят толпы рукоплесканий, не падают к ногам душистые цветы. Наградую певцу одно минутное молчание за чье-то теплое пожатие руки. Но, Боже, что ж со мной? Откуда же эти слезы, как горд, как счастлив я, как ожил я душой? О, Родина моя, прими меня, я твой! И блекнут яркие младенческие грезы, и осыпаются их призрачные розы пред Счастьем наяву, блеснувшим предо мной. Well, Jihoon, I don't speak Russian either, but I still find it compelling to listen to somebody who has got such a mellifluous voice and who uh, really brings out the drama in a story like that. It, it still makes for interesting listening. Indeed, it is. Yeah. Uh, a private recording of Fedor Shaliapin in 1923. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fun. If you're just joining us, friends, my name is Brian Wright. This is the Shellac Stack, a program on which I play 78 RPM records from the first half of the 20th century. We're having a bit of a different program today, uh, something a little special. I've got my friend Jihoon Sok from Seoul, Korea, with me here at the Shellac Stack studio today, and we're playing some records that he's brought with him all the way from Korea. Uh, a lot of these are vinyl pressings of classical and operatic material, um, recorded many of them in the acoustic era i think mm-hmm. some as late as the late 20s that we'll hear before the hour is out uh but all all fascinating with fascinating stories behind them and uh what have you got next so we have um two selections by um famous 19th century um classical musicians one is joseph joachim who was the uh, the famous um, german violinist uh he is playing the hungarian dance number one by brahms which incidentally was dedicated to him um, by Brahms. Uh, this was recorded in Berlin in 1903. On the flip side of that particular record is a 1903 recording, again, uh, by the famous Norwegian composer and pianist Edward Grieg. Uh, Norwegian uh, bridal process, profess, procession, is, oh. I think. Cool. <laughs> and I did get a chance to audition this before the program, and it's really interesting to actually hear the composer Edvard Grieg at the piano mm-hmm. uh, from the original matrix Mm -hmm. um how often do you have an opportunity like this uh so i'm looking forward to this uh here we go let's listen
just find that such a fascinating record on, on so many levels. It was recorded in Paris in 1903. That was the Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg playing his own Norwegian bridal procession. And uh, you may have noticed a bit of pitch instability. There's some wobble on that. Uh, I don't know if that would have been made 
in a regular full-time studio or made, you know, just in some musical salon with uh, portable equipment. Do you know? Yeah, so it was actually recorded in um, the Paris studio, the official studio, oh, the gramophone okay. recordings, a gramophone and typewriter company. Uh, every recording made in between 1901 to 1905 in Paris suffered this exactly the same instability. Something was not right with it, but uh, they just didn't correct it for four years. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Maybe they just couldn't detect it with the uh, very primitive um, you know, uh, machines of the era. But. Well, part of what's interesting about this for me is that they even got Grieg to record at all. First of all, I mean, he was already, I think, starting to suffer a bit from some neurodegenerative uh, disease that affected his motor skills. I mean, he would die mm -hmm. only four years later in 1907. Mm -hmm. um, but in addition to that, this was still a time when making phonograph records was not considered a very prestigious thing to do. Uh, a lot of people still viewed the phonograph as little more than a toy. And I think I've often heard that Caruso was one of the first people to really change that, that when he started making records, um, people realized that, oh, there, there might actually be something to this, that it's mm -hmm. not debasing yourself to make mm -hmm. a phonograph record, that it can actually be a, a mark of prestige. Um, so tell us, how did they get, how did they get Grieg to make this record? So I think the, uh, the, the Paris branch of the gramophone company was very eager to make uh, recordings uh, of very prestigious uh, musicians of the time. Um, Greek was one example. Uh, they also uh, approached uh, Cecile Chaminade, another famous uh, composer, pianist, female uh, pianist, uh, slightly earlier. And later on, they also um, approached uh, Camille Sang-Songs, who also uh, recorded a whole, bench, a whole bunch of recordings of his music in 1904. So I think they were trying to, they were really eager to get some kind of a prestigious people on board, basically. Wow. Now, finding uh, a vinyl test pressing of Edvard Grieg is probably challenging enough, uh, but how about an original 1903 pressing of this record? As far as I know, there's only one copy of this known to exist at this point. <laughs> wow. I mean, you, you realize how ephemeral some of this stuff is and how close to losing it mm -hmm. um, we, we were. Um, and some might say still are, and uh, maybe that applies to me as well at the moment. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, maybe I should be quiet and let you pick out another record. So, Jihoon, what are we going to hear next? So here's a recording by um, the famous Hungarian violinist composer, um, John, uh, John Hubai, um, playing his lullaby, um, so recorded in Budapest in 1928. So it's an electric recording. It is. But right. it's, it, it blows you away with how, how good it actually sounds. All right, let's listen. Thank you. 
what a beautiful record that is. It I mean, really is. Yeah. Both the performance, the composition, and uh, the sonics too. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're in a darkened auditorium, and uh, he's playing just for you. Mm-hmm. It's it's an intimate but still spacious sound. I, I really yeah. like that. You really don't really get that much of a like pr- um, presence in a recording, electrical recording of this vintage. Not to mention um, the violinist him, uh, himself was born in 1850. So, <laughs> so you're hearing a 78 year old violinist mm-hmm. um, recorded in what 1928 mm-hmm. and played back in 2023 now, and mm-hmm. um, so much. Uh, history in that recording in that performance uh, well what have you got next june so here's a, something very odd so not many thing is known about this particular recording but this is a vertically cut edison test recording from 1910 and uh it features the polish bass adamo de Dor. and um yeah so let's listen Edison test recording made, you said, in 1910 mm-hmm. as a possible diamond disc test. I mean, it's yes. a vertically cut. Uh, of course, the pressing we've got here today is in vinyl, made from the original metal part mm-hmm. at some point. And uh, remind us again, who was singing? Uh, Adamor de Dor, who was uh, a police bass, um, famous on his own time, but he made very few recordings. So it's it, it, it in itself, it's very uh, unique in that way. And you were telling me while that was playing that Edison had some choice comments about it because, of course, Thomas Edison himself reviewed all of the recordings. Yes. And uh, what did he say about <laughs> about this? So he said, uh, Didor's voice sounded like Coney Island be- um, beer barrel singer. <laughs> I love that. Uh, makes you think that maybe they had some pretty good beer barrel singing in Coney Island back in 1910. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Might have wanted to go see that. Okay, well, I think we got time for one more record today, Jihoon. What's it going to be? So I brought this unique test pressing of Rachmaninoff, Sergei Rachmaninoff, the famous um, Russian composer and uh, pianist, uh, doing his last section of the first movement of his famous second 
piano concerto. Uh, this was made in 1924, but it was never issued. Uh, it's on a 10-inch side, uh, while everything else like that recorded on the same se the same session was on the 12-inch uh, matrix. So we don't really know what was going on at the time. But anyway, it's quite unique, and I think it's a fitting uh, finale for our today's program. So. Well, it's certainly a beautiful piece. Let's listen to Rachmaninoff himself at the piano now in 1924. Treat to hear an unreleased recording of Rachmaninoff himself at the piano in 1924, playing the final portion of the first movement of his second piano concerto. And Jihoon, I don't know if you mentioned the conductor. Who was performing? Stokowski. Well, Jihoon, this has been so much fun. Uh, Jihoon Suk, by the way, has been my guest here this hour on the Shellac Stack. Um, it's been, what, four years since we were last together. Mm -hmm. I hope we don't have to wait four years to yes. do it again, <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's always a treat to be with you. Uh, thank you for coming, Jihoon. Thank you for bringing these records. Thank you for having me. And thanks, all of you, for listening. Uh, my name is Brian Wright. This has been the Shellac Stack. I hope you'll come back next time. We'll do it again. Until then, take care and bye-bye.